Come on over Arizona, <clears throat> gather around here, we're going to start this hour looking at the electrical circuits, and if you get our weekly email newsletter, and you read our article this week, you know John Bolenball, the mighty electrician, is in studio with us today, and although we didn't get to electrical panels till point number four in our article, that's actually where we're going to start today, because you know that's where the electricity enters the home, so in my mind, it just makes sense to start there. And then move inward. But if you would like to talk to, are you an expert? Would you consider yourself an expert? You're still alive. You're breathing. You have a pulse. You haven't electrocuted yourself to death. I have not. And that's been a great thing. I think my kids and wife thoroughly enjoyed that. I have not done that yet. So he's still alive and here to tell the story. So there's probably a pretty good chance he could help you if you have electrical questions. It's one triple eight seven six seven four three four eight. That's one triple eight Rosie for you. Text questions can be sent to four one one nine two three. You can email us at info at rosieonthehouse.com as well. That's the best place to send a picture or a video if you'd like. <clears throat> so before we get to the electric panel, what what a what is your thoughts on electricity? It's a naturally occurring, what well, not phenomenon, but uh, it's what? just a hidden source. <laughs> a- you can't see it, so you never know when it's there unless you have a tester that tells you. So unless you want to get a little tingle, a little tingle, and uh, we have figured out how to create it, run it down transmission lines, run it into your home, and really. Uh, just think about how different our lives would be if you couldn't flip a switch and turn on the light. If you couldn't turn a knob and heat up a stove. If you couldn't uh, adjust your thermostat and make the inside of your house cooler. I mean, it, it's the difference between a, a, you know, a, a third world country. Yeah, you would be back in the old, old, old days where my wife's grandmother literally was telling our son – about the day they lived back in Maine, but they had a cellar where they would have to take ice blocks and put them down in the cellar, and that was their fridge and freezer. So (laughs) you'd have to go back to those days instead of opening your refrigerator door and getting whatever you want out of it. I always just pictured Maine cold enough you wouldn't even need a refrigerator. (laughs) (laughs) No, no. Just during the summer, we were back there one year, and it was just hot and humid and it was miserable <laughs> i wanted to come back to arizona <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious uh, so we've got you know all these modern uh developments enhancements and it all starts where we take contr- responsibility for it where it's our as a homeowner uh you know yeah. where it's our financial investment starts at the meter Yes. And from the meter, it obviously then gets distributed to all the elements in the home. But on the electrical panel, when we were building homes, you know, in the old days, I say old mm-hmm. days, you know, a half a century ago, the amount of electricity we were using then is not near what it is today. So if somebody's in an older home, they have a limit to how much electricity can come through their panel. Yeah, they have a lot of different things that they've upgraded nowadays. Um, You're responsible typically from the conduit coming from underground 
all the way up into your panel even. So it's just not the meter, the panel itself. You're responsible for that conduit going down or if it's overhead from up above. Um, but they have a lot of different panels that have come out. Um, we do a lot of different things with people and their requirements for electric cars now where <laughs> that is eating up a ton. We have a client that we're going to be doing a new 400 amp panel because they have three electric cars. <laughs> so a lot of power. That's And what's really <laughs> funny is, and I don't know if this is true or not, but they were un- undersized for today. You know, the, the home's built in the 50s, 60s, mm-hmm. 70s. The panels are undersized for what we're using today. Are we going to be, as, is 400 amp going to be undersized in another half a century? Or because it seems like we're getting so much better at energy efficiency and developing things that consume less energy, or we're actually going to be okay and being able to operate, you know, a lot more electrical appliances on the same panel size because of the efficiency increasements of, you know, these energy-consuming uh, appliances, gizmos, lights, etc. Yeah, I would think that they would just be hopefully okay for a 400 amp and even a 200 amp because most people, if you have a two-car garage – your bigger things that you're adding to your houses now are electric vehicles. Um, besides people adding mini splits as well, because they want to keep their electric cars cooler. <laughs> <laughs> so that's another one that uh, we go out and deal with. But yeah, the 200 amp panels are great because there a lot of times those things are being ran at different times than other components in your house. So you have, when you're cooking dinner and different things that way, you're typically not charging a vehicle. So they're at an off-peak hour when you're sleeping even. So it's really just your ACs running. So there's a lot of different things going that way. But I think I think we shouldn't be adding too much more. I don't know what else you could add. <laughs> well, um, we haven't invented it yet, yeah, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the unknown. <laughs> so – And I don't want to put numbers Mm -hmm. to it because all of our radio programs are recorded. They turn into a podcast and they live indefinitely. And, you know, the price of upgrading from a 200 to a 400 today isn't going to be the same as it is in three years when somebody could be listening to this down the road. So I don't want to put something out there that would give somebody the wrong expectations. But when you're upgrading from a two to a 400, what's the process to it? You got to get permits. Do you have to go through the electric company? How? Yeah, you have to get stuff permitted for either even changing and going from a panel that's existing to the same one. You still have to pull permits um, and you have to get the utility company's approval. Um, so there's lots of steps. APS makes it even harder because um, they come out and or don't come out. They send you a bunch of forms that you have to fill out. SRP, you call, get a designer, they'll come out, look at it, and off you run. Um, But as far as going from a 200 to 400 different cities, different ways to get those permits, um, Scottsdale, um, they 
just can get an upgrade for a 400 amp straight on line. So that's an easier process for us. Um, Chandler, Phoenix, you have to go through a lot of other steps and drawings and everything else to prove you need a 400 amp service. <laughs> so To prove. You can't yes. just say, hey, I, I want a 600 amp. Correct. Nope. You have to, you have to approve be, and then the utility company, because the transformer is going to have to be able to supply that much power for you. Even if you're not using it, they're going to have to do it. So they want to make sure because those costs typically are not coming to you unless you want something that's ridiculous, then they're going to be like, all right, well you pay for it then. So now, they're not coming to you right there, but over the course of paying your electric bill over the time, you know, it's... Yeah, unless you're asking for you. <laughs> something ridiculous where you truly don't need it, and they're like, well, we're having to upsize this now because you're just asking for it, so they'll throw. But most of the time, they'll pull new wire, um, so that one that we're going to be doing... SRP is pulling new wire from the transformer all the way over to the customer's house, no charge or anything that way. And the design, to get a designer out there to give us the approval, that is all free. Um, I know people will charge for those things, but it's a free service from them, so we don't charge anything because it's not our charge. So. And once you get through all the paperwork, you know, it, depending on where you live, who your utility supplier is, who, uh, what city, municipality, all that stuff, we get it all lined up, ready to go. You show up on site to start doing the panel upgrade. Is this a half-day project? Is it a week project? No, if we do a 200 amp to 200 amp, it's typically a one-day turnaround thing. We get there, and um, the different utility companies have different ways of them scheduling, but um, they'll get there at a specific time, and then we, they shut off, pull the power off, and then we start doing our work, put it all back together, um, mount a new panel, and then land all of our wires, and then the thing that we go and really enjoy and... I don't do – I really wander through the house because we'll hot check your whole house and label it very accurately. Um, if it's been remodeled a bunch, sometimes that gets tricky. But we actually go in and we just don't write general lighting. We light write a lot of different things. And I'm not the one writing it because my handwriting's <laughs> ferocious. So a guy, Shane, that works for me, he actually does all the writing and it's great. So – because, you know, who, who says penmanship doesn't still have its place, especially even in the trades? Yes. <laughs> so, yeah, but it's it's one of those that we, yeah, we, it's a one day, um, 400 amp. Typically, you'll still have power that day as well um, and get everything back on. Good God, we got our rock on to Electric Avenue. And then we'll take it higher. All right, so we've got our electric panel upgraded to a 400 amp. On these older homes, though, there are some wiring considerations as well, just because we've got the ability to draw more power to operate our home and, and the newer modern appliances. 
that wiring doesn't necessarily mean it's going to work for everything you intend to use it for. No, yeah. A lot of homes also, yeah, definitely need some updated wiring. They um, ran circuits back in the day, even not that long ago in the 70s, 80s, where bathrooms weren't on a dedicated circuit. They would share both bathrooms if you only had a two-bathroom house and the garage outlet and your back patio outlet where hair dryers alone, uh, most women or hair dryers in general draw about 1,875 watts, which is over 15 amps. And that's typically what your bathroom circuits are in most homes is a 15-amp circuit. And that is shared between all the bathrooms in the garage, which most people have a refrigerator in the garage <laughs> so there's using up a bunch of power right there just with that one thing so that microwaves as well um, a lot of them had hoods where you wanted to put a microwave and they were tied into the lighting circuit so in a built-in microwave per code states that it needs to have its own circuit as well which again back a half a century ago, and yes, the 70s was a half a century yes. ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess so, yeah. <laughs> that wasn't the case, so those don't exist. So we're going to, you know, we're drawing new, we're putting in wire that didn't exist, so it's not like we're just able to pull it through an old conduit sleeve. We're no. creating new, we're tearing open drywall, we're crawling in the attic, we're, you know, it's it's not just as easy. I, I mean, unless you want to see wires laying around the floor, but then you would never get that passed by code. Yeah, and this summer was brutal, being as hot as it was, not wanting to get up in those attics. But yeah, you, we. Do you mind if we start at two a.m.? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's, yeah, you. Sometimes we can literally have no drywall damage. Um, we try our hardest to always create a clean environment um, with no drywall. But if we do have to cut drywall, we put plastic down, tape off stuff so it keeps the house clean. But, yeah, if we open up holes, then we have to. There's just no way around it. But we have other tools that can get us through walls and different things that way. All right. So we've got our panel updated. We've got our electrical uh, wires updated. Or at least, you know, for the older home. So now everyone's on the same Plain infrastructure. Field, yeah. What, going through our article, we start with uh, fire detectors. How many of those, I mean, old, those old homes, they weren't pre-wired for smoke no, alarms? Lo yeah, a lot of them just had one smoke detector that was in the hallway, typically, that was hardwired. Um, well, when it's only a thousand square feet or less, you could you could do that. <laughs> yeah. Well, even our own house, we we moved into it twenty years ago, and it's seventeen hundred square feet. It had one smoke detector in the hallway. Um, years down the road, um, we were expecting our first child, so I actually went through hardwired all the rooms per code, so they were all. Um, to code so each bedroom had one the hallway and then our front room because there is a difference of two feet you need a smoke detector up in that higher ceiling 
Well, then I went to the city to do a little bump out on our um, house and gave them the drawings. And they said, oh, well, you need smoke detectors in your house. And I'm like, I already have them. She's like, no, your house wasn't built back then. I'm like, no, they're in there because my son was going to be born and we wanted safety. So, so yeah, but most houses... If it's a flat roof, you don't have to go through the wiring. You can use battery-operated smoke detectors, and they actually make ones that actually link together still um, with signals so you don't have to um, worry about one going off and the other one's not. So that's one nice thing with some of the new ones because with the hardwired, it has a signal wire that will set off the other ones in the other rooms. So if the fire starts in one side of the house, it's not waiting for the smoke to make it to the other side of the house to alarm you. As soon as the alarm near the source of the fire trips, everything goes off. Yep, yep. So, and even with some of the newer ones that are just battery operated, you pair them together so they can know that there's multiple ones there. Now, even on the hardwire ones, don't they have batteries in them as well? They do, um, and we love going above and beyond, um, and some people still buy a little bit cheaper one, which still requires you to change the battery yearly. They actually make smoke detectors that are hardwired because a smoke detector only lasts 10 years. Um, That's the time frame that they've given for a smoke detector's life is 10 years that they actually have a battery that will is sealed in these units and it will last up to 10 years for the life of the smoke detector and those are the ones we use because then there's no maintenance or less maintenance of having to remember a battery they still want you to test them um, monthly and different things that way as well to make sure that they're all working properly and so there's the smoke detector for fire. What about the carbon monoxide? CO2, yes. Fault? I mean, if I'm on all-electric home, do I even need to worry about that? No. Some some people will want one if you're worried about the garage aspect. So they because of vehicle your car, emissions. vehicle emissions, Tempe actually requires you to put one in the garage as well which is a CO2, and that, yeah, that's kind of weird to me. I don't, I have a love-hate relationship with smoke detectors because they always go off at, like, the weirdest time. Halfway through our On the House Hour, this is the 9 o'clock hour where we spend it on something specific related to your home castle or cabin, and today... That topic is electricity. We've gone through panel upgrades, wiring upgrades. We've got John Bolenball of the Mighty Electrician and Studio. And let's get to GFCI outlets next as we're working our way through our entire electrical system. We did smoke alarm upgrades. You may or may not need a carbon dioxide one, just depending on whether your house has gas or not. You had mentioned via garages. Some of them are required for it. Uh, but with a lot of people going to electric vehicles now, you, you don't have those vehicle emissions in there. Your mic's not on. Here, there you go. Oh, there, there you go. go. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, smoke detectors are just one of those that. Your love-hate relationship. Yes. <laughs> love-hate. 
So. Now, you said every 10 years you have to replace it. Do you have a favorite brand? Do you have a favorite place to go buy them? Um, Kitta, we typically use Kitta. They've been around forever. Um, and we do use the one that specifically carries the 10-year battery in them. So you don't have to change them out. All so. right. Most of the time in our homes, we're in and around the kitchen area. Mm-hmm. Now, those have GFCI outlets on them. They're different yep. than the outlets that are in our living room and our bedrooms. Uh, what's special about those outlets? So those or outlets. Sockets, I yes. should say. So those, typically you'll find one or two. Well, you should find two in your kitchen um, because in most kitchens, you have two circuits that do everything for your countertops, and they can also be tied into your refrigerator and your dining room per code. That's the way you would have it. So typically, you would have two GFIs, one for each of those circuits, um, and then if it's not laid out correctly, because we typically don't like seeing a fridge on a GFI, um, just because... If it happens to nuisance trip and you come home from vacation, now you're gonna have <laughs> one stinky fridge. Oh, um, that's, so yeah. that's where you just duct tape it, leave everything yes, inside, and just take it out and get someone to haul it away. <laughs> but yeah, um, same with the garages. Um, you're supposed to have GFI protection out in the garage um, for any outlet that's um, under certain feet or if it's designed for a specific use. So we always put a single outlet that has one plug in and then that's dedicated for that fridge. Um, and then it meets requirements. So you don't have to have it GFI protected that way. You don't have the issue of your fridge in your garage. Um, bathrooms, um, same scenario is because it's near water, you have to have, GFI protection in your bathroom, back patios, any exterior outlet um, on down around the ground needs to be GFI protected as well. If you have barbecue areas, those all need to be GFI protected as well. So that way it keeps you from getting electrocuted. And what does that stand for, GFCI? Ground Fault Circuit Interrupter. And so c- it's actually GFCI. Everybody just knows it as GFI, GFI <laughs> just to make it shorter. And the one common thing about all those places is you're around water. Water, yep. Yep, so they used to have it um, for six feet within water for your kitchen. So anything around your sink that was within six feet with the electrical outlet, you would have to put one. And then they went to, nope, everything has to be GFI protected, any counter space, um, which is, I just find it weird because most appliance cords, they have made shorter, but they are trying to just fix people who don't respect <laughs> certain things, to put it nicely. <laughs> now, when it trips. hmm most GFCIs have a light indicator on them. Green, it means it's operating. Red, it's not. And then there's a little button in the middle you push. But not every GFI outlet has that. If you go to plug something in and your outlet's not working, how do you know which GFCI to go around and, and reactivate so you get your outlet's working? That That's a hard one because 
there's no standard either. Why don't so they you just have, put a light on all of them? <laughs> yeah, because and you have some that have a red and black button. You have some that match the outlet, so they're all white or all black or ivory, whatever color you're using. And some of the GFI manufacturers, some go, like you said, green to red. Then you have other ones that throw a light and it'll be an amber color when it's off <laughs> instead of, and then you have no light. So some people like it that way because, hey, it's not something wasting power. But, um, yeah, GFIs, they, some of them have come out so they have self-testing so you don't have to test them yourself monthly because it's one of those that I don't know many people that actually go around and test all their stuff monthly like you're supposed to because we all are busy. We have busy <laughs> lives nowadays, and that's the last thing most people are thinking of. But Until it's not working. And, and, yeah. and when it's not working is when you need to use it right now. Yes, yes. And then you go try to find something else, and it's not working. So, But, yeah, if something – and if a GFI is not working um, and resetting, um, your next step really would be go out and make sure a breaker is not tripped. Because if a GFI has no power to it, then it will not reset itself. So, when you're looking at your electric panel where the where it's tripped, mm-hmm. it can be deceitful because it can be. It doesn't, you know. There's a switch left and right. Yes. Just because it's tripped, it doesn't push it all the way to the left. No. So that's the thing. Most panels. Now I will say this, and I'll get back to it. Our panels. We don't have that issue with most panels that are out there, unless we've replaced your panel. Um, the breaker's supposed to trip to center position. They don't do it because the breakers are old, so they're still in, look like they're in an on position, but they're actually tripped and they're supposed to be in the middle position. And then you're supposed to turn it all the way off and then back on. So just Pushing it to make sure it's on isn't going to help. It's not going to help. You have to go all the way to the off position and, and then, then back bring it on. back. Yes. But our panels, we use a higher-end panel. Um, our panels, when the breaker trips, it goes all the way to the off position. And then it has a little window that shows orange or red, whatever color it really is. Um, and then you just flip it back on. So there's less steps and... It's always going to pull so you see that the breaker's in a different position than the others. So so that's one nice thing. For if you have a rental or just aren't wanting to deal with certain things, that's the panel we typically use unless it is a 400-amp service. But all of our 200-amp panels, we use a higher-end panel, and it's all copper. I believe it's silver-plated, but it's... One breaker that can only go in this panel, unlike the others. And they are readily available. It's not like we're selling you something that you always have to come to us for. So they still sell that breaker at Home Depot or Lowe's or Ace Hardware as well. So Yeah. I know it's only three wires. you got your positive, your negative, and your ground. But, man, that's just electrical. Other than... Flipping the switch on the breakers, I don't even, I don't even touch it. I don't mess with it. Yes, it there. It definitely can get confusing, especially when we pull a panel off a wall. Client comes out and's like, 
where does all that go? (laughs) (laughs) So, and then you end up having to put stuff back in and we land it all back and try to do it. So, but yeah, so GFIs, but yeah, they, you need to make sure that they're anywhere on the exterior garages around your sink areas in your house, whether it's bathrooms, wet bars, any of those kitchens. Now, where do we run into arc fault breakers? And what's the difference between a ground fault and an arc fault? So arc fault breaker is designed to check for arcing, um, whether it's from a nail piercing a wire from a drywall screw or a drywall nail to any other type of construction that had happened while it was being framed and the wire was in there to um, animals, to chairs hitting an extension cord to a item not working either. Um, and then we just have to take care of those type things. All right. Now moving on here, if you're following along in the article or you read it already, uh, all the different safety features to be aware of on on our electrical systems. What do you get called for the most that you got? And like that is a safety hazard. This is top priority. Don't touch anything. Don't breathe. Don't even look at it. Top priority. Oh, man. Well, we take, we take a lot of things differently. We are just talking. I was just talking with another client. Um, and if you have... Um, If you're a single person living in your home, we will, and you have different issues, we'll look at issues for a single person versus a family that's living in a home with kids differently um, than those. So we would make a family be more aware of the true safety things with smoke detectors or, um, if they're really worried about um, outlets and kids poking stuff in, then we have tamper-resistant outlets we actually install, so you don't need all the ch- little child safety covers all the little plastic and things plastic you stick things. In yeah. There. Um, so we really do it case by case because if it's a single person that um, can take care of themselves, then they can know the dangers but if you have kids the way i look at it is hey we got to make sure that we keep them safe as well um and just for their own safety so well we got a couple calls lined up we'll get to them but we uh we'll just break a little bit early so we have more time on the back end and our final segment to help eric and joanne who have called in at one 767 that's one 888 for you Thanks for spending your Saturday morning with Rosie on the house. We have John Bolenball, the mighty electrician, in the studio. And Eric's calling in, wants to talk about uh, how to use his, uh, ac- his, his extra electricity, I guess, so to speak. Eric, welcome to the program. Hi, thank you. Thank you for taking my call. I love listening to your show. Thank you. How can we I help? I have on my, on my panel uh, our AC unit, the air handler, there, there, there's a 50 amp breaker that we are not using because it it is used for the heat strip on the air handler. And in Arizona, we really don't need that. The compressor runs backward, makes enough heat. 
So essentially, I have a 50 amp breaker that I have shut off that's on the panel that is not being used, and I would like to utilize that and run power from the from the panel to my tough shed in order to have a couple of outlets and uh, some lights in my tough shed, my workshop. And so I'm wondering uh, to do that, uh, what breakerage size breaker I would change that to, and do I need a permit to run power from there to my tough shed? So, yes, you would need a permit um, because of any time you run new electrical um, most of your cities require a permit, um, especially running out to a new building. Um, as far as what size breaker to put in there, um, it really depends on what you're going to use out in the tough shed. Um, if you're just going to have convenience outlet and light, you could run a 120 volt circuit that's 20 amps. Or if you're like, well, I want to be able to expand later, then you could put like a little mini um, sub panel um, out in the tough shed. So if you ever wanted to add an AC unit or you were doing more woodworking or something that way, um, you could always expand it a little bit depending on how big of a run you're going to take out there. But like if you were to use that whole 50 amps, run a 50 amp line out there and have a sub panel then you could do something like that and then just pull little circuits off of that sub panel in that tough shed. And budget's a factor in everything. Don't, you know, even if you don't have an endless budget, you know, you, you're still, it's, it's worth paying the money to go ahead and over infrastructure on the inside. Cause it's yeah. cheaper while you're already doing it to do the bigger wire, do the infrastructure and, whether you're not, you lose use it later down the road. Yeah. Okay. So then you're not out all that much, but if you under infrastructure and you get out there and now you find out you don't have enough, you got to start the whole process, process over again. Over. So you're yeah. paying for it twice. Yeah. Or at least put, if it's having to go underground, Hey, put in a bigger conduit. So that, so yeah. And there's very few things electrical wise that don't require a permit. I mean, you could change outlets but I mean, when you're mm-hmm. like you said, when yep. you're running new lines, yeah, when you're running a new line underground, or whether if it, I doubt it's attached to your house, so you would probably have to go underground. Um, you're going to be digging across that. You should oh, be. You got a blue stake. Yep. Make sure there's not utilities under there. It has yeah. to be, I think, 24 well, inches underground. No. For... So we wouldn't have to do blue stake on that one if it's for your main one because it's only six inches to 18 inches in the ground, depending on what type of conduit we're doing. Okay. So if we're doing six inches, it has to be a metal um, galvanized conduit that's wrapped in 20 mil tape that we would be running from there. Cause that's m- way most pool companies do it um, is they run galvanized. I hate it, but sometimes <laughs> it's done so cheap because you don't have to dig as far. I love using PVC cause it's going to last a lot longer. We replace pool runs all the time because they rust out. Even with that um, 20 mil tape on it, it corrodes from the inside out. We have another client that their stuff literally disintegrated and the conduit's completely um, gone. And you have wires just in the ground now. 
Now, before we wrap up uh, the hour, I wanted to cover something you had mentioned during the commercial break about, you know, lighting strategy for inside your home and making oh, it yeah. look bigger. Talk through the interior lighting strategy you, or philosophy you have. Yeah, lighting's changed a lot with LED lighting. Um, and then we love using a specific company that you can't just go buy at Home Depot or Lowe's, which I don't not a big fan for most of those type things because they change their lineup so much that especially with LEDs, they're all integrated. So if you go buy a fixture um, for recess type purposes that a lot of people are doing, you can't, um, you might not be able to find one to match that. But with lighting, I always like over lighting stuff because of dimmers um, and it create, you can extend a room by adding lights we have a client that they literally, he's extending his kitchen, and we were talking about adding, like, two more rows of light into the um, family room area. So that way the kitchen, when you have on the kitchen lights, it actually lights up into some of that area, and then you just get a better feeling of the whole room versus here's a little isolated box of your kitchen that has some lights that are lighting up one little area so dimmers make a big big difference they do they do and again that's one of those infrastructure costs that pay for itself eventually down the road and the amount of functionality it adds to your your the usability of your home is incredible yeah and with dimmers you just really with leds you really have to put in the new dimmers um that you can control leds with John Bolenball, the mighty electrician. You can find him in the electrical category under certified partners at Rosie on the House. Or do you know your phone number? I asked a lot of partners that, and they're like, uh, I never call it. You Uh-oh. know, <laughs> yeah, we have we have a couple different ones, but the main one that's on Rosie is 480-854-2005.